Well, once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, and um, so if you're a guest with us today, we're really glad you're here. And if we can help you and serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that. Uh, we're going to be diving into God's Word together today, so get a copy of God's Word on your lap and get that opened up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, if you need a Bible today, if you don't have one with you, there's some hardback black ones somewhere there on the floor around you. You can uh, look into one of those with us today as we study God's Word. Um, so we're kind of, you know, this is Palm Sunday. We're, we're starting to lean into uh, Holy Week, and uh, I think we, God's got a good... Um, a good word for us today, and especially this coming weekend as we gather together again. Um, but as I was kind of working on it this week, I was thinking a little bit. Um, I know mo most, many of us are on uh, social media these days. You know, you might be on Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever thing it is. And so a really popular deal with social media these days is uh, hashtags. Because, you know, hashtags is, everybody with me on the hashtag thing? Um, the little, you know, number sign for the, for the, some of us that knew it before it was a hashtag, okay? The, the pound sign. Um, so they have that. So they have all these things. They label the post. You know, so you can kind of track what's going on. You kind of be able to see. So there's been this popular hashtag that's kind of uh, been around a couple years or so now, two years maybe, um, that I've seen a lot more of um, hashtag winning life. Have you, guys, have you guys seen that one at all? Winning life. There's all these people like posting pictures of whatever they think is like great about their life. And so I, I kind of just kind of scrolled through the Instagram feed for a little bit, um, probably longer than I should have, looking at all the pictures of people uh, who said they were winning at life and uh, had pictures of these, you know, gorgeous kind of top-end cars or these really beautiful extravagant homes or these kind of dream vacations and these great vista views. Uh, one guy had like all of his first place medals lined up on the table and that was his picture of, of winning life. Um, you know, the fancy food and drink, because that's what we love to take pictures of the most, it seems like, is our food, uh, so other people can know what we're eating that night. And, uh, but my, my personal favorite was all of the uh, post-workout selfies um, with the winning life hashtag. I'm like, that's what everybody wants to see is your sweaty self after you just got done, you know, working out. And, um, but um, one of them was literally just stacks of money, just stacks of money, and it said winning life. And then I found one, though, that I thought was probably a little more realistic for most of us when we're thinking about life. Uh, this was the picture. Go ahead and put that up there. <laughs> so this is, you know, the Titanic pose at the front of the boat and the bird slamming into the face, right? Um, if we're honest, I think most of us, we have more days like that uh, than the other. Maybe that was you this morning when you woke up and you saw you had no power. And you're like, okay, how am I going to get ready for church? Um, things happen, right? And we, sometimes we need a little help. Sometimes we don't want to admit it, uh, but we could use someone to come along and help us out in some things. And uh, a lot of times when we get into those really tough situations where we're needing help in life, that's when a lot of people finally turn to God, turn to Jesus and say, hey, I need some help here. Can you help me with this? Um, and, and Jesus came to help. He's willing to help. He wants to help. But sometimes we come at him expecting a certain specific type of help, and the type of help he's wanting to give maybe doesn't line up with what we were really thinking we wanted or needed. Um, but if we're willing to press in, oftentimes his help is actually better than the help that we thought we wanted in the first place. And so we're going to see that here in this story this morning uh, with Jesus. So here's kind of the main idea we're pressing into. Jesus didn't come to help us win at this life, but to help us win at new life. 
Jesus didn't come just to help us win at this life with the great house and the great car and the good health and the, you know, the, the beautiful family or the, you know, the great career or whatever the thing is that you're running after. That wasn't his main purpose in coming. His main purpose was to come and help us win at new life. And so we're going to see that here. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different today uh, than I usually do uh, on this type of sermon. Instead of kind of taking like a scripture at a time and then, t- you know, reading it and then talking about it and explaining it, we're just going to read the whole story. Guys, want to get the whole story out there on the page, and we're going to kind of make some comments as we go through. Then we'll kind of come back and we'll fill in uh, how this applies to us on the backside. Are we good with that? Are we awake today? Okay, good. All right, good. I just want to make sure everybody's with me. All right, so verse 1. Chapter 21, here we go. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is key. This is the setting of the story, right? This is God's holy city, right? If you know anything about the Bible, this is kind of the epicenter of religious life for the Jews, right? This was King David's city, the, the most illustrious king in you know, Jewish history. This is where the holy temple is at. This is the center of God's redemptive story, right? So if this was a movie, this is like when the music starts ramping up, you know, and like, you know something big is about to happen because they're coming up to Jerusalem. So now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So we get introduced here to kind of the first group that Jesus is going to deal with in this story, and that's the disciples. Sometimes we call them the apostles. This is like the inner guys, the inner 12 guys that he's been walking with and teaching and training and doing life with for a couple of years. And so he says to them, hey, go into the city. Right? So he gives them this command to go into this nearby town, right? and these are his closest followers, so they're going to listen to Jesus. And so he says, go into the city, and you will find a donkey and her baby donkey tied up. I want you to untie him and just bring him to me. And so I'm just sitting here trying to put myself in the story. Like, if you're the disciples at this point, you're like, Jesus, I love you and all, man, but like, we're down. I, I just, I'm not really wanting to go to jail for you today. Like, I don't want to, like, steal somebody's donkey, and, like, that's, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, I don't know that we're really on the stealing thing. Jesus, I thought we were about the loving people and all the other stuff. He's like, no, go get the donkeys and bring them here. If anybody says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs them. Really? That's your comeback for, like, hey, you're stealing my donkeys? Don't worry. God needs them. It's all good. All right? Do you think that's going to play? Like, if somebody, like, showed up at your house and, like, started driving your car out of the driveway, and they're like, hey, don't worry, God needs it. Are you going to be cool with that, right? So if you're the disciples, you're sitting there going, I don't know how this is going to play out, but this is what Jesus is sending them to do. But what I want you to notice in the phrase there, he says, tell them the Lord needs them. This is important right here because this is the first time that we have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus, in his public ministry, refers to himself as the Lord. Other people have called him Lord, but this is the first time that he has used a title of divine authority to describe himself. Okay? So he's changing the status here. He's he's starting to lift the veil from the eyes of his followers to say, look, this is who I really am. This is my true 
identity. Look at verse 4. It goes on. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. So Matthew gives us a little bit of commentary here now. He kind of steps out of the story and tells us that this is all going to fulfill a prophecy that's actually from Zechariah 9.9. That's the Old Testament uh, reference here that he's going for. This prophecy in Zechariah was a well-known messianic prophecy among the Jews. Like all the, all the Jews that were going to synagogue and all the Jews that were active in their faith, they knew this scripture. They knew this prophecy was talking about this coming Messiah that was going to come one day to um, help the Jewish people. And so it says here, behold, your king is coming. That's kind of been a key word for us this whole year, right? Like we've been looking at Jesus as the king. It says, behold, your king is coming. That word king in this context means exactly that, divine Messiah, that there was a, a messianic king that was coming from God to save, to deliver his people. But interestingly enough, the prophet Zechariah here says, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. That word humble there is, I think, important because um, it tells us that this isn't, isn't going to be just like any normal king. Right? When you think about a king, usually humble is not the first word you use to describe them. Right? They're in charge, they're leading, they're telling others what to do. They're... But this king is going to be humble. He's going to be meek, peaceful, a, a servant, if you will. Not your typical conquering kind of king. And it says here that this king is going to ride in on a donkey. So I, I want you to, just, to understand here that what Jesus is doing with his disciples in this section of Scripture, in this section of the story, is completely on purpose. Like, Jesus isn't accidentally doing this. Do you understand that? Like, he knows exactly what he's doing because he's using this prophecy, he's using this donkey to make a statement to all who would see him entering Jerusalem about exactly who he was. He didn't want anything to be left on the table, right? What's interesting to me about this is he's, he's fulfilling this prophecy, he's revealing his identity, and he's using the donkey to set himself apart from the rest of the crowd. You see, what is happening in this, in this context of the, the bigger story is that this is the week of Jewish Passover, okay? This was the biggest week of the year for the Jews. This was their religious uh, holiday that was above all others, and this is the time where massive amounts of them would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in the holy city. And their normal mode of getting there was walking. So you would just have droves and droves and droves of people marching up to the city in these huge groups, just walking and walking and walking to Jerusalem. And among them, there's going to be one guy riding in on a donkey. In fact, this is the only time we have recorded in the Gospels where Jesus rides an animal at all. He's always walking, but not this time. He's going to come in seated on a beast of burden, one scripture says, to make a statement that I'm here. The king is coming. Look at verse 6. The disciples went on and did as Jesus had directed them, which means they went and stole the donkeys. Um, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. All right? So the disciples, I think this is just a kind of a side note, the disciples went and did. 
No conversation, no asking Jesus, no like trying to, you know, come up with a better solution. They just went and did. They, they immediately, unwaveringly, faith-filled obedience to Jesus. We could learn a few things from them, couldn't we? Verse 8, most of the crowd then spread their cloaks on the road and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So now we have the second group here that Jesus is interacting with. Now we've got the crowd. Right? The crowd is a much bigger group made up of different people. Um, this, some of them, some of the crowd has been following Jesus for weeks, months, maybe even years. Okay? They've been following them all throughout his ministry in Galilee. They've been seeing him teach. They've been seeing him do all these crazy miracles and heal people and like all, bring people back to life, like all this stuff. They've been seeing these things, and they are excited, man. They are pumped up about Jesus coming into Jerusalem because they know this is the guy. There's another part of the crowd that if we turn over to, you don't have to turn there, but if, if you were to read the same story in John chapter 12, where John records his entry, it says that some of the crowd came out of Jerusalem and came and met him to walk him back into the city. So some of this crowd, they haven't been with him the whole time. They've just heard about this guy that's coming and they want to come check it out. They, he's, he's doing all these miracles and stuff. So they're going to come out and they're going to greet him and they're going to kind of usher him into the city as part of the crowd. So you have these two kind of groups converging, and it says here they started uh, laying their cloaks, their coats, if you will, on the road. They're making kind of just like this makeshift red carpet for the donkey to walk on as he's being ushered in, all right? This is something to show submission, to show reverence to the king, like this is the guy, we're submitting to him, we love him, we're all for him. And they're laying their cloaks down, and some of them, I guess, didn't have their coats on that day or something. They started cutting down palm branches, and they started laying palm branches down on the road. That's why we call this Palm Sunday. Um, just a little decrypting if you're not on the Christianese. Okay, that's totally cool. We want to help you. Um, so the, the Palm Sunday is from the palm branches. I, mean, I don't know why we don't call it Coat Sunday. That would be cool too, but like we call it Palm Sunday. So we lay the palms down. And so they, they're cutting these things. They're laying them down, and they're making this thing to usher Jesus in. And the palm branch was the, the uh, sign of Jewish nationalism. All right, it was kind of a, a thing of pride for them. And so for them to take those and lay those down is to say, we have allegiance for this king. Again, they're making the same statement Jesus is making, that he is the king coming in to the city. And it says that they were shouting. And the word shouting there isn't like a little like, hey, yeah, go Jesus. Like, like this is like a, a ruckus type of shouting. Like this is so loud and so much noise that you could hear it for miles probably. And they're shouting things like, Hosanna, which means God save us. This was a shout of worship. This was a, a phrase that they would use in worship to, to say that this is the guy that we, we think is going to save us. They repeated it twice here. They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, the son of David isn't just like a marker or like an assignment to a family. That's actually a title that they've been using now for hundreds of years for this coming messianic king. This king that was going to come from the line of David, that was going to rule and reign forever, that was going to rescue God's people, that were going to put them back on top. They say, Hosanna in the name of the Lord and glory in the highest pointing up to God, that this is the son of David, the Messianic king that's coming from God. They're not saying that he is God, okay? They're not there yet, but he's coming from God. 
it's actually a great picture of kind of the Old Testament kingly convoys. Anytime the kings would return from winning a battle or whenever the kings would be like their coronation for their crowning, all the crowd would go out, they would meet them outside the city, and they would usher them in. That's what's happening here. Look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So now we have the third group. Now we have the whole city, right? Now we went from the disciples, the small group, the crowd, a little bit bigger group, and now we got the whole city is stirred up, it says. So this is all of Jerusalem, including specifically the Jewish religious leaders and the priests and, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And If you were to go again and read this, if you read a couple of verses later in verse 15 here in Matthew, or if you flipped over to Luke in chapter 19 where he records this story, you actually have specifically the scribes and Pharisees asking questions either to Jesus or about Jesus. So we know that they're there. They're part of this whole city makeup. And it says that they were asking, who is this? Now, they weren't asking who is this because they don't know his name, right? They know who this guy is. They've seen the They've seen him before. They've heard the stories. Like, this isn't their first encounter with Jesus. They know who he is. They're not saying, like, who is this guy? Tell us his name. They're saying, who is this? In other words, who does he think he is coming in like this? Later on, they kind of chastise Jesus. Like, do you hear what they're saying about you? Why aren't you going to tell them to shut up? Like, they can't be saying those things about you. That's not true. This is a question of defiance to what Jesus is proclaiming. And in response to their question, I think it's interesting what the people say. The crowd doesn't say, oh, this is the king. This is the Messiah. They don't say, oh, this is the Lord. This is the God who has come in the flesh. They say, oh, this is the prophet. Right? Much less controversial. Much less going to get me in trouble with the religious guys. Right? Like, I'm just going to kind of pull back the reins a little bit. I'm going to step back and say, oh, this is the prophet, the guy who's been doing all the amazing teaching and the miracles. This is him. See, the crowd was a little fickle because they weren't really all in with Jesus yet. They're going to be even more fickle in a few more days when they're shouting something completely different than Hosanna. Yet, they still give him a title here that implies that he's here to help, right? He's the prophet. He's the one that's doing the teaching and the miracles. Like, he's here to help us. He's, this, is, this is a good guy. Jesus was there to help. Um, around our house, we're, we're a fairly musical household. We like lots of different styles and genres of music, and musicals is one thing that we enjoy watching and going to. We just had the girls' birthday party yesterday and gave them tickets. They're going to go to see their first show, Cinderella, of course, at the Muni this summer, and so they're all excited. So this kind of thing we do. One of the one of the musicals that tends to be popular around our house is Mary Poppins, um, and more recently, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, we were just having this conversation last Sunday. Um, and so but if you don't know Mary Poppins, here's kind of the little story, okay? So in Mary Poppins, uh, she's this traveling nanny who comes to the aid of families in need, all right? So, and the idea is that she's coming to help the kids, right? She's coming to help the kids and correct the kids and, and fix whatever their issues are. But she kind of has some peculiar ways of doing that, and she kind of has some odd things, but usually effective. But throughout the movie, the parents usually get kind of frustrated with Mary Poppins because they don't feel like she's really fixing the kids' stuff. 
and they don't realize that she's actually not there to fix the kids. She's actually there to fix the parents, right, and to help them see a new perspective and a new identity in the family so that they can do what they're called to do with their kids. And it's not until they finally realize what she's really there for and they get on the same page of how she's trying to help them that they really receive the help and are able to move forward with that. Sometimes we come to Jesus like that. We come with our agenda and our list of here's how I want you to help me, Jesus. Here's all the things I want you to do for me. Here's the things that I want you to to make right in my life. And Jesus is like, that's all great and all. I, may, I can probably help you with some of that, but I've got some other things that I'm more concerned with. I've got some other things that I think you need help with before we get to that. Jesus came to help. But I need to be careful what expectations I put on his help. He did. He came to help. And he can help us with lots of different things in our life. And there's, there's no reason, if you're a Christian man, you can pray to Jesus about anything. We're not trying to take that away in any way. But oftentimes we come with this kind of preset notion of here's what needs to happen, and we tell Jesus the the 10 steps that need to happen to fix this or to do what we want to achieve in our life so that we can win the way we want to win. And that just really doesn't go over well. That's not what he came to do. So with that in mind, let's go to point number two. Jesus came to help, but number two, I need Jesus' help. This is the next big thing. I need Jesus' help, and this is the solution that he offers up. So three things that I see in this story about how we respond to the help of Jesus. Number one, I need Jesus' help not just to fix my life problems. Not just to fix my life's problems. We see this here with the crowd, right? When they finally get to Jerusalem, they say, oh, this is the prophet. That's why most of them are there, right? Most of them are there. The crowd is following him because they've seen him do all this great teaching and all these great miracles. Like, if we just stay close enough to Jesus, maybe some of that miracle light will come over on my life, right? Like, maybe he'll do some of that for me. Like, I I saw you heal that one guy, Jesus. Can you maybe take care of my thing over here? And so they're, they're looking for Jesus to help them and to fix their life's problems, like some type of magician or genie that that's there to just make everything great and smooth sailing and problem free and unfortunately sometimes we can be like that too sometimes we can just be talking to jesus with our laundry list of jesus just fix these things in my life just make my life easier just make my life more comfortable we we don't want jesus help to actually change us just to change the situation. We want the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Like, do that in my life, Jesus. But we don't necessarily always want the Savior that comes along with that. Has anyone else noticed, um, like, the, the, it seems like the new big marketing trend for all these companies is um, the free trial Anybody else know, like, like everyone wants to give you like a 30-day free trial of whatever their thing is, right? Like, you know, like Netflix or Hulu or, or like, uh, um, I saw the other day we were watching a, a commercial. I think it was Ancestry.com. Like, you can get 30 free days with their service to try it out and see if you like it or whatever. Um, you know, gyms do this usually like January, right? Like, come in for like a 20-day free trial and they don't give you the full 30 because they want you to 
pay before the end of the month. But um, like, let's get you in the door and kind of get you started. The one that kind of blows my mind, I don't know if you guys have seen this online. Um, you can now like order mattresses online. Have you seen this? And they come with a 90-day free trial. Right? So they send you the mattress. You sleep on it for 90 days. Like, if I don't want that and I send it back, what are you going to do with that mattress after 90 days of me sleeping on it? And in fact, are you going to reuse it? Am I sleeping on a mattress that like three other people slept on for 90 days each as their trial? Like, ooh, right? Like that's, okay, nobody else thinks about these kind of things. This is just my brain. I don't know what to tell you. So, but most of if you're like me, once the free trial is up, I'm like, all right, good. I'm peace. I'm out. That was, that was fun and all, but like, I'm not paying for that. So, you know, as long as the freebies are there, I'm good. But other than that, I, I don't want it. A lot of people approach Jesus like that. As long as the freebies are coming, as long as you're helping with this and helping with that and doing this in my life, then we're good, Jesus. But as soon as that stops, or as soon as you don't do what I want you to do one of these times, I'm out. Once you're not helping my problems anymore, then I don't want you anymore. And they walk away. They don't want a savior. They just want the solutions. That's the first thing. Number two, I need Jesus' help not just to defeat my life's opponents. Not just to defeat my life's opponents. We see this in the, the cries of the people as they're coming in. Oh, son of David, Hosanna, save us, save us. Again, this is referring to him as the promised king, the Messiah that's coming from David's royal line. The people believed, when they, when they thought about this messianic prophecy, they believed that one day this son of David was going to come that he would rise up, that he would conquer all of their enemies like David did for Israel the first time, that he would conquer all the enemies and he would, he would, he would uh, you know, put everyone else to bed, that he would reign, that he would rule, that no one would challenge them anymore. They wouldn't have any opposition anymore. There wouldn't be anybody coming against them, that life would be perfect again. That was their expectations. They were expecting no less from Jesus than total military victory over their Roman conquerors. Again, we think like that a lot, don't we? Jesus, if you can just get me past this deadline, if you can just fix this thing and get me past whatever this thing is coming up, if you can just solve this issue in my life, or if, I, if you can just help me win this relational battle, Right? If, if you can just get me, help me conquer this health crisis or get past this financial thing, like if you, then life will be good again. Then once there's no opposition, once there's no more, once there's, there's no more pushing against me, then life will be perfect, life will be easy, life will be good again. That's what I need, Jesus. That's the kind of help I need and a lot of times we don't want Jesus to sustain us in the conflict. We want him to remove the conflict. You know what I'm talking about? We don't want to walk through it. I don't want to mess with that, Jesus. Like, no, I, I want your strength to help me in this. I, I just want you to get rid of it. Just, just defeat it. Just conquer this thing in my life. A lot of times I think we're more focused on winning than we are on worshiping. I just, want to, I just want to win at this life, Jesus. I just want to have a good, easy, comfortable, fun, no problems, no, that kind of life. That's what I want. One of the things I love about our church 
is that we have so many uh, men here at Harvest that are fired up about God and following after the Lord and love to grow uh, together. And so we've been trying to facilitate some things to help uh, our men do that both together and with the Lord. And uh, one of the things we've been mentioning a lot lately is we've got this vertical men rally coming up here at the end of May, May 31st and June 1st. And it's just going to be an awesome two days, guys, of just worship and hearing from God's word and doing some fun activities together and just hanging out and just really growing deep in the Lord. And if you haven't signed up yet, sign up. Come on, as Chris said. Um, no, seriously, we, we want everybody to go. It's going to be really, really awesome. But kind of in preparation for some of that, this last month we decided we'd have a little fun kind of thing, a little competition. You know, guys like competition. And so we had this uh, March Madness bracket challenge. You know, you know, guys, I'm talking about you all the brackets, right? And so we had this, everybody fell out a bracket. We're watching the games. We're doing the whole thing. We're keeping the scores. And then this past Monday night was the championship game, all right? So this is, you know, the, the end of the road. Everybody's, everybody's coming down to this two teams. And so we had a plan. We had a night planned at the Spirals' house. We got together. We had some food. We watched the game. We just hung out and had some fun together. But the issue was there were so many upsets this year in the bracket and in the process of the tournament um, that nobody in our entire church picked either of the two teams that were in the finals. So, so ultimately, for the, cha- for the challenge, it really didn't matter who won. Like, nobody really cared, like, because nobody had a team in the fight. Like, it was just whatever. But we did have three guys who were tied for first place in the bracket challenge going into the championship game. And if you know anything about Harvest or me, we, we, don't, we don't do participation trophies, all right? So, like, you got to win if you want something. Like, you got to really win. So we had a tiebreaker for the championship bracket challenge something. I don't know, whatever other word goes with that. And so it was, the, it was the total score of the game. So whoever most closely guessed the combined score of both teams was going to win. So, and, and so the, the, our youngest contestant in the entire challenge beat out every single grown man there. Uh, and Mr. Jacob Hurst is our bracket challenge champion. Uh, here he is with his medal. Um, and, uh, but, but here's, what, here's the funniest thing. So the whole game, we're watching the game. Nobody's rooting for either team to win. They're just rooting for either more or less points to be scored. Like they don't even care which team scores them, just like more or less. So it kind of hits their number uh, for the total combined score. They didn't care about the teams. They didn't care about the coaches or the players or the game. It wasn't about any of that. It was just about winning the bracket challenge, right? A lot of people approach Jesus like that. It's not about Jesus. It's not about the Savior. It's not about salvation. It's not about any of that. It's just about, will you help me win? Will you help me win in my life? That's what I want from you, Jesus. I need Jesus' help not just to solve my problems, not just to defeat my opponents. Number three, I need Jesus' help to forgive my life's sins. I need Jesus' help to forgive my life's sin. Again, how does Jesus refer to himself here? He calls himself the Lord. He's he's bringing to life a, a prophecy that calls him the king that calls him the Messiah. 
Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's not just a military victor. He is the Messiah, the King, God in the flesh. That's what he came for. He he doesn't hope to come and just help us with some problems or some issues. He came, rather, to rescue and to ransom the people of God for his kingdom. And again, it says that he came humble. Zechariah tips us off that this isn't just any king. This, This is a humble servant king. That's who Jesus is. And he came to save us through his own sacrificial death on the cross. That's what king, that's what a servant king does. Normal kings, earthly kings, they don't do that. They they aren't the first ones into war. They're not the one falling on the sword. They have guys who do that for them. Our king came to give his life as a sacrifice. Because God knew that we needed help. That more than anything in this world or in this life, we needed help help and we couldn't help ourselves and we couldn't fix the problem and we couldn't erase the sin and we couldn't pay the debt. So he sent his own son, Jesus, to come to be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life and then to go to the cross willingly, humbly, to give his life as a sacrifice for us, to pay for our sin to take our death upon himself. What should have happened to us happened to Jesus. And they went into the grave. Three days later, he rose back to life to show that he was God, to prove that everything he just said about himself, Lord, Messiah, King, it's all true. And it's proven in the power of resurrection. And then he said, I'm here to help. I will forgive you of your sins. I will wash you clean. I will make it right with God, and you can be accepted into the family once again. You can be part of the kingdom if you will turn from your sin and put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone. He came to pay for the sin of all who would believe and to grant us forgiveness and new life. As I was studying this week, I came across this quote that was really, really good um, on this point. It said this. um, This is from France, uh, not the country, the writer. Um, He said, there's a subtle tension within Zechariah's description of the Messianic king. He is victorious and yet meek. And his triumph is received rather than won. He rides a donkey rather than a war horse, and his kingdom will be one of peace rather than coercion. Jesus knows the help that we need is, not, is often not the help that we seek. 
But no matter what you're seeking, whatever need it is that brought you to Jesus, he's okay with that. But he's going to give you something better. He's going to save you. He's going to give you what you really need to be saved from sin and death and to be restored to the family of God. That's the help he came to give. That's the help that every human on this planet desperately needs. But as that quote just said, he won't force it on you. He didn't come to press you into anything. He's not going to coerce you to take his help. You have to seek the king for help. You have to make the choice to come to him and to receive the help that he offers. I need Jesus' help with my sin way more than my situation. And if you're a believer here today and you're already saved, you already put your faith in Jesus, that's great. We love that. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded about this just as much. Because sometimes I think we get to, into this pattern where we're like, oh, he's already taken care of my sin. Now, I can, now he can just deal with my situation. Right? Now I can just take in my laundry list of stuff to fix my life now that I'm already a Christian. And again, he wants to help with stuff. Don't get me wrong. He does. But let's, even as Christians, let's not neglect the fact that we still need him to forgive and to wash us clean of our sin every single day. More so than we need him to fix whatever issue we have in our life. Jesus didn't come to help us win at this life, but to help us win at new life. To get us to that place where we are forgiven and we are in new step with God the Father. So as we step into Holy Week and we head towards the cross and ultimately uh, the resurrection on Easter, first of all, let's just take comfort in the fact that we have a Savior, we have a King who loves to help and wants to help and wants us to come to Him for help. That's a good thing. Not all religions can say that. Not all people can say that because they don't even have faith in anything above themselves but we have a God who wants to help. So let's press into that and let's thank him for that. Let's receive that help this week. And more so, let's thank and pray about the people around us who haven't found that help yet, who need the help of being saved from their sin and saved from death more than anything in this world. And let's pray for them and let's talk with them and let's invite them and let's get them to Jesus so he can help. Let's stand and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Lord, just so thankful, God, that you, that you see us, that you know us, Lord, that you want indeed to help us. And Father, we are more than aware, Lord, that we need that help. We need your help to save and to rescue us from sin and death, to give us new life in Jesus. In the midst of all the other ways, Lord, that you help us, may we never forget, may we never take for granted the biggest help from you, our salvation. We pray that this week, God, that this 
week, right here, right now, that many, many more would come to seek and find that same help from you. Lord, call many lost to yourself this week as we lift you high that they might see see you clearly and receive help for their souls this Easter. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for being our help, our substitute, our sacrifice. Thank you for coming and being God with us. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.